If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you this morning to turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. We begin a new sermon series today that I've entitled Rescue. Ruth is in the Old Testament towards the front of your Bible. Uh, It is a small book, only four chapters, but it is one of my favorite stories because in it uh, is contained a picture of redemption, a picture of rescue, a picture of really what Jesus uh, will do in the future for the whole world. There is a picture of uh, someone getting what they did not deserve and uh, a picture of grace. And so if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Ruth. It's just right after the book of Judges. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home. We love giving away copies of God's Word uh, at Connection Church. Um, the book of Ruth, just for uh, the guy's sake, uh, is a love story, but guys, there's like a hero in it. So don't unplug and say this is for the girls because it's not. It's a really cool story. Uh, we're going to spend several weeks on it, uh, and, it and it's a, it's a, it's one of my favorites, and so I'm excited to begin this series today. So if you have uh, your Bible, I'm just going to begin by, let's just jump in. Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man uh, of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in, in Judah, and they went, from the, went into the country of Moab, Moab and remained there. Now, what I want to do is kind of set the picture for you. So there's a historical context that you need to kind of comprehend and a few things that we need to work through. So if you had homework for today, it would be to read the book of Judges. And I know you were coming in this morning and saying, I wish the pastor would just give me something to do that I can take home and do a lot of homework. And the book of Judges, I know, was on the front of your list. But if if you would read the book of Judges, what you'll understand that the writer of this book begins to say is in the days when the judges ruled is the history of where they had been as God's people. Uh, They had been uh, in uh, slavery. They had been oppressed. They had been under the hardship of some cruel rulers. And the book of Judges kind of gives that account. Uh, And the uh, names and the places of people really factor into this whole story. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning on defining some names and getting kind of the, uh, the context of which we're in. But in Hebrew culture, uh, the name meant a lot of things. So when I went to name my children, I have two children, I have a son and a daughter, I went, we went through the whole naming process. And my wife bought a book and I didn't read the book, but she did, and she, uh, all these names, and if you don't think about it, you know, you really can mess a kid up if you give them the wrong name, and so we didn't want to, you know, do something, you know, so we looked at, you know, initials that it didn't spell anything like D-U-M or, or you know, something that he could be made fun of or, or something down uh, the road, and so we, we, you know, we looked at family names, is there, is there a name that we want our child to have that 
a previous family member has had. We looked at all that stuff, and then we did the yell test. You know, you guys do that. Like you, the full name, if they're in trouble, you need, it needs to roll off the tongue easily so that we can get their attention. Ben, Benjamin Douglas Hickson, Addison Clare. You know, we, we, we did that yell test so that would know. And, but really, we didn't, like, the, the names didn't, we, we weren't looking at meanings. We were just looking for a name that we thought fit and what we wanted them to have. But in Hebrew culture, a name meant everything. And so if you look in verse 1, it says in the days that the judges ruled that there was a famine in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is an important historical fixture, uh, uh, historical fixture in Christian society because that's where Jesus will be born. And so Bethlehem, it's very interesting, had a famine. Bethlehem is important because Bethlehem means house of bread. So famine in the house of bread was kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon that it happened. Bethlehem was a place of, of lush pastures, uh, uh, successful farming land. And so to have a famine in a place like Bethlehem was an interesting thing. Some scholars believe that the famine that was going on that Elimelech, Naomi, uh, Malon, and Kilion were experiencing was the hand of God punishing his people for something that they have done. We don't have any real uh, information to back that up. But for some reason, Bethlehem was in uh, a famine and 50 miles down the road in the country of Moab, they're not in a famine. So something's going on in Bethlehem that's not happening 50 miles down the road. So you can make your own uh, judgment on that. But this family is thinking about moving to Moab. And you've got to understand that Moab is a country that, is, that serves a pagan god. They, they did not follow the ways of God. They were not God's people. Uh, and so there's a lot of things going on in that culture that were negative. Not only that, but they were moving away from their family. They were moving away from their friends, their support. And they're moving into a land that are not followers of God. Now, they weren't like seeking to be missionaries. They weren't saying, hey, we want to go to Moab and we want to take uh, our God to them and allow them to see that he is the only God and they should follow him. They literally were just trying to survive. They were literally were trying to run away from God's punishment, if you believe that that's what happened. But for whatever reason, they were packing up everything they had and they were moving to a foreign land. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, we get the names. Elimelech is the dad. Elimelech means my God is king which is very interesting for a man who is named after my God is king, actually doesn't have enough faith to believe that God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he can provide even in uh, a time of need. Uh, And so Elimelech, my God is king, a worshiper of Yahweh, now is packing up his family and moving to a foreign land. Now, before we're too critical of Elimelech, sometimes we do the same thing that we're fair-weather Christians. When God's doing what I want him to do, then I'm happy with God. When he's not falling in line with what I want him to do, then maybe he needs my help and I need to fix it, right? That's what we do as humans. Uh, Not good. Elimelech did the wrong thing. We sometimes do the wrong thing. There's a lack of faith in God's provision. Elimelech's about to lead his family on a journey that that is going to lead to bad things. And then he has a wife. In verse 2, it says that there is a wife whose name is Naomi. Naomi's name is translated as pleasant 
or sweetness, or what we might say is sweetheart. So Elimelech, my God is king, is married to, to sweetheart. He is married to a, one, a, a woman with a wonderful spirit. And then they named their two boys, Malon and Kilion. If, if you guys look at these names, you kind of think they're Star Trekish. Some of you are thinking about naming your kids these things. Please do not name your kids Malon and Kilion because they mean uh, Malon means sickness, Kilion means death. And so it's like naming your kids Asian bird flu and utter failure, okay? Don't know why we made that connection. Don't know why they named their kids that. Not ones, if you if you got a list of things to name your boys, do not name them that, okay? You'll see later on in the story, it's not going to end up good for them anyway. And so here you've got uh, my, my God is king, sweetheart, uh, 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 death and failure, uh, all packed up in the wagon and they're moving to Moab to a place that they shouldn't be. Moab is a place that is filled with pagan gods, but one of the main gods in that country was a god named Chemosh. Chemosh was a god that they thought uh, needed human sacrifice to be kept happy. And so the god that this country served, which there were also other gods and and there were other uh, very um, immoral things that happened to try to please these gods. And uh, so there's a country that's following pagan gods who are leading them to have a lifestyle that does not follow after what God has said. Not only that, but uh, Moab was a country that had invaded Israel and taken them captive for 18 years. And so Elimelech, being the smart guy he is, is in a famine, now moves to a land that used to be, he used to be in slavery to, into a culture that is following after pagan ways and after worldly things, and he's moved his family into that, uh, into that world. What's very interesting to me is when I began to think about that, I thought, Elimelech now is going back to the place where he was in bondage to before. And it just doesn't make sense when he was under the hand of the blessing of God and now he's moving back to a land that he is in slavery. And I thought about that in the life of believers. Sometimes we do that. It's very foolish, but sometimes we do that. For those of us who know Christ, sometimes we, we just sing about being set free from sin, that the chains of our sin are gone, and yet sometimes we take a trip back into the land that we did not need to be in. We take a trip into a lifestyle that we used to live in. We, we embrace some of the sin that God has set us free from, and we find ourselves in a foreign land seeking after a pagan God. Elimelech does that. Uh, Moab is a country where um, that was formed out of the descendants of Lot. Abraham and Lot had a splitting of the ways. Some lands went that way. Uh, I'm going to PG this, uh, but Lot and his two daughters did some things they didn't need to do. Out of that came a son, and that son, Ben-Ami, is the leader of the Ammonite, Am- Ammonite nation, and that is where who lives in the land of Moab. And so they, this land, this country, these people would plague God's people for uh, years, if not decades, to come. And so Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Kilion, they move to this, this, this nation. They live in a culture where they are influenced by people that they shouldn't be around. They're friends. They're culture, their morals, they have to live in the middle of all of that. Then you look at verse 3, because the story gets better. In verse 3, they've made this move, verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. 
So they moved to Moab, and dad is dead. And she, Naomi, was left with her two sons. We don't know why Elimelech died. That's all that's said. We don't know if he was mugged by a Moabite, run over by a camel. We don't really know what happened. But it, the, the, the thing that goes into my mind is you move your family into a place that you shouldn't be, and then all of a sudden, dad is dead. And Naomi is left with no friends, no family, no support system to survive. And she is now responsible not only for herself, but her two sons. And they will eventually marry two daughters. And so he he leaves them in a lurch. Look at verse 4. It then says that they married Moabite wives. And the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Now, every time I read Orpah, my mind just automatically says Oprah. And so if I say that, then just go ahead and forgive me. But names mean something here as well. Orpah, Oprah, whatever, um, means stiff-necked and stubborn. So guys, a little dating advice. If you find a girl and her name means stiff-necked and stubborn, I've done enough marriage counseling. Not a good idea to start out that way, okay? So you need to look for a different girl. And if that's your name, ladies, you need to legally change your name to something else, okay? So we don't know if sickness or death, Malon or Kilion got got Oprah, uh, but one of them did. And the other one got Ruth. Ruth's name means uh, plentiful. It means a refreshed stream. So if you've got stiff neck and stubborn or refreshing, you want to go with refreshing, okay? Because it's just going to end up in a better thing. If you can imagine trying to write a Hallmark card to your sweetheart named Stubborn, then, you know, just put that in your mind, okay? So that's what happened. They lived there 10 years. And then verse 5, the story is not over. And then both Malon and Kilion died. Not a good thing to be a part of this family and be a guy, okay? They're all dead. Dad's dead. The two sons are dead. Uh, and, and Naomi is left, verse 5. And so the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and without her husband. And so they had moved to a place that they didn't need to be. They Now dad is dead. Now the boys are dead. There's no support system. There's no friends. She's uh, in need of help, and there is no help. She's a stranger in a foreign land filled with pagan gods with an immoral uh, system all around her. What will she do? Look at verse 6. And then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given him them, and had given them food. Just a pause here. God provides for his people. They were in the wrong place. They had moved away from God's provision. Verse 7. And so uh, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. She said, listen, uh, God, God's going to rescue us. And, and she heard about her homeland. Somehow she had gotten word that things were better back home. And now she said, you know what? Uh, I, there's not this written in, but she said, my husband made a bad decision. He took us to the wrong place. We're going home. We're going to the place that we know. We're going to the family that we know. We're, we, we're, we were in a place we shouldn't be. We're going to fix that. We're out of here. We're going back to what's familiar to us. We're going back to our homeland. We're going to return to a, our faith. We're going to return to a people that follow after the real God, Yahweh, who worship uh, the real God. And we're, we're out of here. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. 
and may the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt with, uh, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, and the Lord grants you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Naomi is, is going through, I just lost my husband. I just lost my two sons. And now I've got these two daughters-in-law. And in that, in that day's society, in that culture, it, she was responsible for them. They, they were under her uh, need to provide. And she says, listen, I don't have anything for you. Let me bless you and send you back to your family. Let me give you a do-over. You, you can just go back and you can marry another man and you can start another uh, family. And in verse 9, she essentially releases them of their responsibility to care for her and to follow her. She says, listen, go back and you follow your family. And, and then they cried. This speaks to Naomi's character, sweetness, sweetheart. She had loved these girls like they were her own daughter's. And she had brought them in, and and they showed devotion to her. In fact, in verse 10, they said, no, we're not going to go away. We're going to stay with you. We're going to make sure that you're cared for, and we're going to follow you wherever you go. Verse 11, but she tries to convince them otherwise. She says, but Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And if I should have hope, and even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of God has gone out against me. She says, listen. I don't have any more sons. In that day and time of the culture, if an older son died, then a younger son would oftentimes marry his wife to take care of her and to make sure that she was provided for. She only had two boys. She now has lost her husband. And she said, listen, not only do I not have any more sons, but I I don't want to start over. I mean, I've talked to some ladies and they've lost their husbands. And they said, listen, at this point in my life, I am not starting over. I am not going to try to retrain another guy. It took me 40 years to get that one trained, and now he's gone, and I'm not starting over. And she says, listen, I'm not after another husband, and even if I was, it would take me 20 years if I could have kids at this point, and and, and you're going to wait around for 20 years for a son that I don't even have. She said, go home. Be, Be set free from your responsibility and go and enjoy life. And so in verse 14, we see that one of them takes her up on the offer. And so they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. In that kiss, Orpah is taking her up on her deal. She's saying, listen, I'm going to go back. I'm going to take what you have said I can do, and I'm going to go back to my family. I'm going to go back to my pagan gods. I'm going to go back to the lifestyle that I grew up in, and I'm going to follow in that way. And, and that almost in many ways makes sense because that's what she had grown up in. But in that moment, she chooses not to follow after the ways of God, but to follow after the ways of Chemosh and the other pagan gods that she uh, followed. And so in my mind, she follows after Oprah. Okay. Uh, but that's a whole nother sermon story, whatever. But Ruth does a different thing. Ruth in that, Ruth in that moment clings to Naomi. 
Ruth in that moment says, I will not go back to what I have known. I will not go back to, uh, to my pagan gods. I will not go back to my family. You are my family. It's not done. Look at verse 15. And she said, See, your sister-in-law, Naomi says this, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return uh, from following you. For where you will go, I will go. Where you will lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. When you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. What happens in verse 15 is Naomi says, listen, follow Orpah, follow the other girl, the other daughter-in-law, and go back to your land, go back to your people. And Ruth says, don't ask me to do that again, because I will not go. Because you are my family. And there is something within your heart that I see that I must have. I don't want to go back to Chemosh. I don't want to go back to my pagan gods. I see something in your heart, in your life that I want. You see, Ruth had sat and watched as Naomi lost her husband. And then she lost her two sons. And she saw something in Naomi that was truly sweet, that was truly amazing. The faith that she had in a God that she had never seen before. There was something differing about Naomi's relationship with God that she had never seen before. And Ruth says, listen, I don't know what it is. I don't completely understand all this stuff about your God, but whatever you have, I want some of it. it. Whatever you've got going on in your heart, whatever belief that you have in your life, whatever system that has allowed you to live through all of this and still have faith in him, I want some of that. And Ruth said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Wherever you put your feet down, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. And I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And I will choose your God to be my God. In verse 16, what happens is salvation comes to Ruth because she chooses to follow God and abandon the pagan gods of her past. It's amazing. It's incredible. And and in verse 17... She says, I'm going to give up everything of, of, that I've ever known to follow you and to follow God. She says, I will cling to you. In the story, there are five elements that I want to point, on, point you out this morning that I believe will guide not only this first part of this sermon, but will guide us through the rest of this book as we look at this book. The, the first thing is this. The providence of God. Would you say that with me? The providence of God. What, what, what we see here is that God is in control. And the, the, it was a horrible mistake. Elimelech made a tragic error when he moved his family to Moab. His dad, uh, the dad died, the two sons died. It, it was a tragic, horrible thing. We don't know if that's because of where they lived or, or what happened to them, but for whatever reason, they should have never left the providence and the, the grace of a holy God in Bethlehem. And one writer said this, God's gracious providence is not bound by man's foolishness. God's providence covers even our mistakes. Here's the thing. <laughs> when, when they moved to Moab, God didn't say, listen, I will never bless you again. 
Now, now some people could say, but but they all half of them end up dead. I mean, there were four who went, and and only and and only one in that family survived. Maybe that was the judgment of God. I don't know that. But here's what I know: Naomi never lost heart. Naomi never lost her faith. And these are these are normal people. These are people who, who, it wasn't like Elimelech was a king. It wasn't like he was of priestly descent. descent. It, it wasn't like they, they were blessed in some amazing way. These are normal folks. And God's hand of blessing and provision was on that because God is sovereign and God is good. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? It means that God knows everything and that he is in control of all situations. And even though they went to a place that they shouldn't be, even though they were in a land that that was filled with immoral activity and horrible things that were drawing people away from worshiping the only true God, Yahweh, even though they were in that place, God never removed his hand from them and and he blessed them and he took care of them until they could get back home because God is sovereign and God is good. Would you say that with me? God is sovereign and God is good. You see, no matter where you are at whatever stage of your life, wherever whether you're in the in the blessed land of God where where He wants you to be, or if you're in a foreign land, God is sovereign and God is good. God was working even in the midst of their self-induced mess. And then the second element of this story that I want to point out to you is the element of family. That there were there there were there was there was a, a strong bond of family here. Even though they were in a foreign land, uh, they they loved each other, they cared for one another. And I think a lot of this was led by Naomi. Naomi becomes a key character in this story, and her faith and love that she had, this sweet character of which she was named for, she poured out even into her daughters in law. And I believe that they became like a family that loved one another, even as if those were daughters of Naomi from a natural descent. And, and Naomi loved those girls. And when, when it came to a time when there was death and there was sorrow and there was weeping and they decided that they had to go, they didn't want to leave. Naomi, when she tried to send them away, they wouldn't leave because she had loved them. But that, and that was their earthly family. But, but something happened because Naomi's faith began to pour out into every part of their life. And even into her relationship and her faith in God poured out into her, her daughters-in-law. And they not only loved her and wanted to care for her, but Ruth eventually would accept God to be her God because of Naomi's influence in her life, because of those strong bonds and those commitments that they had seen earthly and spiritually. The third thing I want you to see this morning is the devotion that they had for one another. And when Naomi was saying, listen, it's, I know you're committed. I know that you have, have devoted yourself to me. And that happened because she had invested in them. And even when things got hard and even when there was pain and there was sacrifice, there was honor that proved in those moments that they were devoted to her. And she, Naomi, uh, was, was worthy of respect. And, and that devotion that she had shown to them was a reflection of how she was devoted to God. That even though her husband had led her down a wrong path, she never gave up on who God was. And that leads to the fourth element of this story was Naomi's witness. You see, sometimes we, 
don't understand what God is doing in our life and how we could be used. In fact, I have people who say to me regularly, Pastor, I'm not a special person. I, I can't stand on a stage and, and sing or I can't speak and preach. I, I don't know how God would use me. And I tell them, listen, you never know how God is using your life to make a difference in someone else's life. In Naomi's life, she never knew that as she buried her husband, as she buried her two sons, how that, that, that faith that she had of never giving up on God, never giving up that he might have a hope and a future for them and their family, never giving up on the fact that God was providing every single thing that they needed. In, in that moment, she never knew that that was going to make a difference because Orpah went home. But Ruth said, listen, what you have done, the witness of your life, the witness of your faith has made a difference. And I choose to follow your God. Listen to me. I don't know where you are in your life, but if you're following Jesus, people are watching for you. They're watching to see what you're going to do, how you're going to react. When the vice is turned on your life and you're being squeezed, whether you're going you're to emit a grace and a love and a faith for Christ or whether you're going to react in a horrible way. People are watching. Naomi's witness made a difference. And it will not only pay off in this part of the story, but it will literally change a nation. The last thing that I want you to see is that salvation can come. It's, it's a really inspiring story. In fact, a lot of times pastors will use this, this thing that Ruth said to Naomi as, as a devotion to someone that you love. But salvation comes in that moment when Ruth says, your God will be my God. I choose to give up everything that has been comfortable for me. I, I, the cry of her heart was greater than her call of her family. It was greater than the call of her country. It was greater than the call of her culture. She says, I want your God to be my God. Listen, I love living in the United States. I, there are great freedoms we have. I love our country. No, we're not perfect. I understand that. Uh, but this is a great place to live. But I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, your devotion to your nation should be on down the list and God should be at the top. Some people, I think, are more devoted to the United States than they are devoted to God. And we need to get our priorities in order because when it's all said and done, this nation could go away. And in the end, all that really matters, it's not like when we get to heaven, God's going to say, oh yeah, yeah, Americans to the front. <laughs> it's not like he's going to say, okay, Americans, you got this place over here. And of course, uh, you know that everybody in the United States is going to be freaking out when they get to heaven because they all think Jesus is white and he's not, okay? So there's going to be that little moment of, oh, he's not like us. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was free. Uh, it's not going to say like Americans over here and, and Asians over here and Africans. It's not like we're all going to be separate. You see, we got this messed up view that God was born in Kansas or something. I mean, Jesus, I mean, we, we kind of Americanize him. Listen, your devotion should not be to your country over your God. You should love your country. I, I think this is a great place to live. And, and I, I'm, I'm in support of, of defending our nation. And for those who are defending the United States and the religious freedoms that we have, I understand, have come with a price. And I'm very thankful for that. And I'm, I'm thankful that we can go and do what we want and say what we want, whether that's all good and bad. And that's a whole other argument. But I want you to know this. Your devotion should be to your God. 
And that's what Ruth says. That's what she gives up. She says, listen, I know this is where I grew up. I know this is where my culture comes from. I know this is how I have had my belief set in place. But I abandon all of that so that I may worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And my heart should be lined up with him first and everything else will fall in place. She said, I want the fulfillment of knowing your God. As I thought about that, I thought, you know what? There was a time in my life when I lived in a foreign land and I was doing the wrong thing and living in the wrong way. And and as I thought about this story, I thought about a story that Jesus told. He told a story about a young man who thought he knew it all. My guess he was 18 because I remember being 18 and thinking I knew it all, thinking I had all the answers. And he, he went to his dad and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. You know, that would have gone different at my house. My dad would have laughed at me, number one, and then probably smacked me. Uh, but he, the, the father didn't. He gave him his, his inheritance. He gave him a large sum of money. This young man went and partied it out. I mean, he had a great time. For a short period of time, he was the king, and he lived that way. But as soon as the money ran out, he found out he didn't have any kids, and he, he didn't have any friends anymore. And he found himself at the bottom of a pig pen wishing he could eat slop because he was so hungry. And he began to think about his father's house and how blessed he was and how things used to be. And so he humbled himself and he began to make that walk back home. And he began to think about if my dad would just spare my life and not kill me for the disrespect that I showed him, if he, if he would just allow me to live as a servant of his, then it would be better than anything that I have ever experienced in the last few days in, of my life. And so he begins to make that walk back home and he's practicing that speech in his mind about what he'll say to his dad. And and as he is expecting that maybe his father might even kill him for the disrespect that he showed, he begins to walk that last walk down the road to his house. And what he doesn't know is that his father never gave up on him. Even when he showed him disrespect, his father never gave up on him. And as he begins to make that walk down the road, he doesn't know that his dad, every night after dinner, has been sitting on the porch waiting for his son to come home. And off in the distance, he sees that familiar walk of his son. And he he watches and he makes sure that that's my son. And in that day and time for the father to run was was. Uh, un- unheard of because it was it was just something that that men of his age and of his stature and of his power didn't do. But his dad didn't care about what the world says, and he takes off in a in a sprint and he goes and embraces his son. And he didn't ask him where he spent all the money. He didn't ask him everything that he did. He didn't ask him why he had shown him disrespect. He said, "Listen, I've been waiting for you to come back home." And he embraced him, and he took him back in. And he cleaned him up and he put the ring on his finger and he put, he put shoes on his feet and he, he brought him back to the status of where he was before. You know, that's what God does for us. And it's not like he says, listen, it's okay what you did in a foreign land. He, God doesn't say, listen, you can live however you want to and come home and not expect to have to pay the price for your sins. He says, I'm paying the price for you. You see, Jesus has been waiting for you For some of you, you've been living in a foreign land. You've been doing things in a pagan culture that that God is not pleased with. Here's what I want you to know. 
God says it's time to come home. God says it's time for you to quit running. It's time for you to quit making excuses. And this day, he says that he wants you to be his child. He wants you to be adopted into his family. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I can tell you this, for me, I know that I have never known a peace like I know what Jesus has done for me. The peace that passes the world's understanding overwhelms my life. It's hard for me to put into words. The forgiveness that God gave me for the things that I have done of of living in a foreign land in a pagan culture and doing things that I shouldn't do. God doesn't say it's okay for me to live that way, but what he says is it's okay to come home and I'll forgive you and I'll give you grace and I will set you free. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, today is your day. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and your Savior, this is your day. You may have been living in a foreign land, and this is your day to come back home. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. The words are not magic. But if you mean it in your heart and you ask Jesus to come in to be your Lord and Savior and forgive you, he will do that. But he wants your heart to be in the right place. And I believe that there's someone under the sound of my voice today who needs to pray this prayer. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you need to ask Jesus into your heart, would you just silently pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for never giving up on me. Thank you for loving me enough to go to the cross and to pay for my sins. I confess to you everything that I have ever done wrong and ask you to forgive me and to cleanse my heart and as scripture says that you would wash me whiter than snow. I give you all that I am. I ask that you would help me to follow you I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you were buried, and on the third day you rose again and that you're alive today. I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. God, I don't know everything that it means to follow you, but this day I choose to come home and to stop running away from you. If you prayed that prayer and you believed it, Jesus says that he will forgive you and he will cleanse you and he will adopt you into his family. He will take you back to the place that you always needed to be. If you ask Jesus into your heart, I want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for those of us who know Christ. Because although we have been set free from our sin, we sang it, sometimes we make a trip back into a foreign land. So you may be at this point in your life today at the wrong place and you know you need to come back home and be under the protection of a holy God. If you need to do that today, just know this. God never left you. You chose to walk away from his best for your life. But there's an invitation for you to come back home. So this day, I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you have the strength and the courage to admit your need and that God would be your provider. Lord Jesus, your grace amazes me. The level of your forgiveness boggles my mind. 
God, how you can have patience with us when we go so far from you. I do not understand. But Lord, I thank you today that your word says that we are never too far away from your love, your grace, your mercy. So Father, today, if there are those under the sound of my voice who know you as personal Lord and Savior, but God, they have not been letting you be the Lord of their life. They've been living in a way that does not follow you. Lord, would you bring them home today? Would you love them? Would you cleanse their hearts and make them usable again for your work? Lord, we thank you that the cross is real. We thank you that grace is real and it never runs out. And so, Father, today, we don't ask you to condone our sin. We don't ask you to say it's okay that we made a mistake. But, God, we are thankful today that our mistakes do not push us away from you so far that you cannot rescue us. So, Lord, this day we give you our heart, we give you our life, and we ask that you use us for your glory. For those, Lord Jesus, who prayed to receive Christ for the first time today, we rejoice. And we're excited. And Lord, as a church, we want to walk alongside them. So Father, I pray that you would give them courage to tell somebody today that they made a decision to follow Christ that will literally, literally change not only their life, but their eternity. God, we thank you that you do a work in this place. God, we thank you for what you're doing through Connection Church, not only in these meetings on Sunday. Lord, that you allow us to have a touch that reaches literally around the world. God, thank you for using us and for allowing us to be a part of your work in different places on this globe. God, thank you for this time. And we praise you and honor you. In Jesus' name I pray.